This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your host today. Today's episode is a bit of a special one for me. It is the second episode being dropped on this Monday, and the reason for that is because last week I hit a pretty big milestone with Nutshell Politics. I reached my 1,000th total download of the podcast, and so to celebrate, I thought I'd do double duty this week and drop a second episode, and thank you guys so much for tuning in and spreading the word. I really appreciate it. Now, the first episode that dropped this morning was on social constructivism, which is one of these big political science theories that exists out there. It was the end of a three-part series. If you haven't had a chance to go back and check that out, it's pretty interesting. I would encourage you to do that. But this second episode, we're going to be going back to the roots of doing a current event, something that's taking place in the world out there that I think you should really know about. And we're going to be talking today about an area called the South China Sea. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there was actually a bit of a, an important event that took place there just last week when a U.S. Navy ship called the USS Decatur had what's called, being called an unsafe interaction with a Chinese warship. Uh, this took place last Sunday, so about eight days ago now. And this took place while the U.S. Navy ship was conducting a what's called a freedom of navigation operation near some disputed islands, the Spratly Islands in this South China Sea. And the warship apparently was conducting some increasingly aggressive maneuvers and the Decatur, the USS Decatur, was responding with warnings to, to leave it alone. But the, the Chinese destroyer ship actually came within 45 yards, moved very, very close. We're talking less than half a football field in front of the U.S. ship. And the Decatur was forced to maneuver and change its course to prevent a collision. Now, this was a pretty big deal. As I mentioned, that 45 yards is really, really close. Uh, this meant that the ship's captains only had probably a handful of seconds or so to react to any sort of course changes. This is a very dangerous maneuver that took place by this Chinese destroyer. And so there's a lot of questions to why do they do this and what's the big deal with the South China Sea. And it's really important because this incident kind of came right on the heels of some heightened U.S.-Chinese tensions over a, a wide range of issues. You're probably familiar with the idea of the tariff war that's kind of taking place now between the U.S. and Donald Trump and the, the Chinese President Jinping in China. And so this heightened tension has kind of spilled over and now we're seeing some of these risky maneuvers taking place on the high seas. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what actually happened, but also kind of why this is a bigger deal, what's really taking place in the South China Sea, why the U.S. ship was there in the first place. So let's start with a little bit of why the ship was there, and then we'll kind of move forward into what China's doing there, what the South China Sea issue is about, and we'll kind of just take it from there and see where this goes. So the USS Decatur is a ship in the U.S. Navy named for a former U.S. Naval officer named Stephen Decatur, and it is a destroyer. The Decatur was commissioned in August of 1998. It's about 500 feet long, and as I mentioned, it's something called a destroyer. It's actually an Arleigh Burke class, 
which is actually a guided missile destroyer. It incorporates a lot of various stealth techniques. It uses uh, angled surfaces, uh, which make the ship a lot more difficult to, to detect. And so it's this type of ship. Now, it was in the, the South China Sea for something called a freedom of navigation operation. And the entire purpose of these type of operations, uh, the U.S. Navy conducts them all around the world. But its intent is to enforce the right of free passage through what are considered international waters. Uh, and international waters are waters that are not owned by any country. There is a, an international maritime law that basically says that any country owns, I believe it's like 12 nautical miles of water off their coast. But beyond that, it's open international waters. And so these kind of freedom of navigation operations are intended to kind of enforce that right of free passage so that other ships can get through there. China, though, has been particularly sensitive about this in the South China Sea because the Chinese government is engaging in a lot of kind of militarized operations through this area. And in particular, they claim the Spratly Islands. Uh, we apparently sailed within the, at 12 nautical miles of the Spratly Islands, in particular the Gavin and Johnson Reefs. And the Chinese government saw this as an attack on their sovereignty because they claim these islands as their own. And China actually responded to this and said something to the effect of the Chinese military is going to perform its defense duties, take necessary measures to safeguard sovereignty, safeguard regional peace, stability. But let's take a minute and back up. Just ask the question, very basic, what is the South China Sea? So the South China Sea is a relatively decent sized piece of the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. Total area is around 1.4 million square miles. And it is particularly important because it is a lot of countries that border it. You have China, Vietnam, the Philippines, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, and there's a lot of rivers that kind of flow here as well. So there's a lot of countries that have strategic interests in this sea. And in particular, uh, the sea has a fair amount of importance because one third of the entire world's shipping passes through this sea, carrying something like $3 trillion in trade each and every year. There's a lot of uh, lucrative fisheries in the area too that's really important for our food security. Millions upon millions of people in Southeast Asia rely on this. And it's also thought too that there's a, a large bed of oil and gas resources below the, the sea as well. Now, within the South China Sea, there are a number of what, the, what are called South China Sea islands. There's kind of an archipelago, which numbers in the hundreds of islands. And these mostly uninhabited islands are subject to a lot of different claims from these countries, uh, all of them in the area of sovereignty. A lot of different countries try to claim these islands as their own because, again, when you have this maritime law that extends your borders out 12 nautical miles into the ocean, if you can claim islands then you also get those 12 nautical miles in every direction. And so these claims are particularly important for a lot of these countries. Now, despite these claims, a lot of states, including the United States, want these waters to remain international because of all this trillions and trillions of dollars of trade that passes through there. And so this is the purpose of these kind of freedom of navigation operations so that they can ensure the free passage of ships. The problem comes when these islands, though, in particular, are claimed by multiple countries, or in the case of China, they're claiming islands that are way, way far away from their borders, and other countries, other states have some problems with that. Now, if you ever get a chance to look at a map of the South China Sea where it actually breaks down some of these claims, it's really, really interesting. Uh, there's something called the Nine Dash Line area that's claimed by China. This covers most of the South China Sea. They're trying to claim most of it for themselves. 
and it actually overlaps some of the economic zone claims of Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Taiwan, and Vietnam. You also have maritime boundaries along the Vietnamese coast that different countries claim along uh, north of Borneo. There's some boundaries up there. There's the Luzon Strait, the Saba area, and there's a good probably seven different countries that all have claims to various islands within these, these areas, depending on which area you're talking about. But this South China Sea in particular is of interest to China. I mentioned several other countries have claims and they're pretty solid claims. They, they really want some of these islands and territories. But China, their policy here is probably the most interesting and the most influential going forward. The thing we should focus on most. Uh, they believe that South China Sea is an area of core interest. They've called this non-negotiable and they've put it kind of on par in their national platform with the areas of Taiwan and Tibet, which if you follow Chinese policy at all, you know that they, they claim those areas as their own. And so what China has actually started doing in some of these areas is, is pretty fascinating. What, what they do is they find these coral reefs, these atolls, and basically go up to them. These are not claimed areas. Again, they're just coral reefs under the water. And then they just dump mounds and mounds and mounds of sand onto these coral reefs, creating new islands. And once they've created these new islands, they claim them as their own. Essentially, that they just move all the sand from the seafloor up on, onto a reef. And then they start constructing things on these islands. I mean, they've constructed port facilities. There's some military buildings. They have an airstrip on some of the islands. And there's at least one airship that's finished. They have another couple that they're installing. And in particular, they, they're doing this in those Spratly Islands area. There's a bunch of reefs here. And so there's a lot of area that they are able to kind of build their own islands and then claim as their own. And then what they do is they then claim that 12 nautical miles in all direction from this new island. And this allows China to kind of harness a, sec a new section of the sea for its own use that had been out of reach, that you know belonged to international territory. And they, they're trying to strategically target areas where there's fisheries or where they believe these natural gas resources or oil resources are stationed. And so while these islands can't really support, you know, large military units, they're building them large enough that they can have planes land on them, that they can serve as like a headquarters for air patrols, sea patrols of the area. And we've actually spotted them moving like, mo like different mobile artillery vehicles throughout the region. And so this is one of China's biggest policies. They're just essentially pumping sediment from the sea floor up onto these reefs, claiming them as their own, and then using that to claim the, t the water around it. And then on top of that, they're actually starting to militarize some of these islands. And from China's perspective, they're accomplishing a lot of different things here. They're uh, consolidating economic activity in the area. They're preventing sh other ships from coming through. They're controlling shipping routes. And they're putting themselves kind of on par, power-wise at least, with the United States. This is something that China has been very coy about. They haven't really come out and said this. This is one of their goals, but they're becoming more and more bold about these sorts of things. And so when the United States sailed this ship too close to one of these islands that in the Spratly Islands, China responded and they, they said that they're entering sovereign waters and the U.S. destroyer, the Decatur, should not have been there. And so they took action by moving their destroyer very close to our ship. And actually, if you, if you look at this, uh, there's some sites that managed to take photographs of this near collision and you can really see how close they were. There are these black and white images, uh, but they're sailing within 40 to 45 meters of the U.S. ship. They look incredibly close. As I mentioned, because of the, how fast they were going, you know, they had probably seconds to 
alter course or else there would have been a huge collision. And the U.S. Navy released a, a statement about this, basically saying that this Chinese warship acted in unsafe and unprofessional maneuver. Now, of course, this does, as I mentioned, come on the heels of some U.S.-Chinese relationship struggles. There's been this kind of escalating trade dispute. Trump is throwing tariffs at China. China's responding. It's hurting the stock market in certain key areas. And just in recent weeks, the U.S. decided to issue further economic sanctions because China purchased some Russian fighter jets and some missile equipment that were surface-to-air missiles. And so the U.S. has thrown economic sanctions at them. There's been these tariffs. And so Beijing, China, and uh, the president of China, a man by the name of Jinping, basically thinks that, that the United States is trying to interfere in some of their operations in this part of the world that the U.S. doesn't have authority to do so. And of course, this ship maneuver isn't the first time China's done anything. In response to the initial sanctions, China actually re recalled its Navy commander from a U.S. trip that he was on. They summoned the American ambassador to ask him to deliver a formal protest. And then in response to that, U.S. Secretary of Defense, a man by the name of General Mattis, has dropped some of his plans to visit with China too. So the relationship between these two superpower countries has started to really deteriorate. And this near collision between two warships in the South China Sea is just the, the latest escalation of that. And this collision could have been pretty devastating if it had happened. The Chinese ship essentially tried to cut across the U.S. ship's bow and it forced the U.S. captain to perform what essentially is the equivalent of kind of throwing on the brakes, putting the, this entire warship, this 500-foot-long warship, into reverse and to slow itself down. And they had to turn to the right to avoid it, similar to the idea of if somebody cuts you off in the road and you have to slam on the brakes and swerve to avoid them because they violated the, ru the rules of the road. That's more or less what happened here, and it could have been pretty devastating. These are both very large ships, and it's very hard for them to slow down. It's very hard for them to turn, and if they had crashed, it could have caused deaths of many, many people. But China really sees this as the U.S. continuing to infringe on their sovereignty in these type of situations because you know this freedom of navigation operation like the USS Decatur was doing is not the first time that's happened. We also have done things like flying bombers over the South China Sea, as well as the East China Sea, where there's some territorial disputes as well. Uh, we actually just did some of that last week. We flew some, some B-52s over the, these areas. Uh, we actually did a, a live fire exercise in the South China Sea with one of our ships as well. Uh, we did some firing on inflatable targets. And so China saw that as a, a threat as well, or at least an escalation of things. But the U.S. sees themselves, because we're kind of the world hegemon, which uh, if you're not familiar with the word hegemon, that essentially means that we are the, the unchallenged superpower in the world at, at the moment. We see ourselves as kind of this world's police of a sort. And China's neighbors, these other countries in the area, in particular Vietnam, I think is one of the big ones, have been growing increasingly alarmed at China doing these sorts of things. They're using these maritime vessels to go out to claim these territories. There have actually been some incidences of uh, maritime vessels from China harassing and intimidating other ships. There was a, a recent case where China sent a, this contingent of ships very close to the shores of Vietnam because it, it was deploying a, an oil rig that they had out there. But it made its big show of it. And in the process, they basically fired like water cannons at some Vietnamese vessels in this area. Their water cannons, not real cannons, but they were enough to sink many ships. And so Vietnam has been protesting these sorts of things. China has done this with the Philippines as well. There's actually been some cases where Chinese ships have deliberately rammed uh, Filipino sh ships, <coughs> excuse me, 
to keep them from repulling troops. The Philippines actually has some troops whose entire purpose is to guard some of these coral reefs that they claim are theirs because they're closer to Filipino shores than to anything you know that's seen as Chinese territory. And so they've actually tried to ram some of these ships that are designed to redeploy troops to these areas. And so with all of this context going on, China begins this program of dredging up the ocean to dump sand. And they've been doing this now for about four years. There's at least seven different locations that they're doing it pretty hardcore. There's thought to be other areas as well that they are eyeing or have tried in smaller capacities to do so. But I think probably of even further importance of this is kind of what it speaks to about China and China's goals. Many people see the Chinese president Jinping as being the most powerful country, uh, leader that the country of China has had since Mao Zedong. Uh, he is the president. He is the head of the Communist Party. He is probably in a kind of a 10-year term, probably in about year five or so of that. And he has been very open about trying to pursue what he calls the great dream of national revitalization, which means probably lifting China back up into that first world rank of powers that it really had during Mao's tenure. And that would put it on kind of a really preeminent place because after Mao died in, back in the 70s, I think it was in 1976, China more or less was following a policy of keeping a low profile. Uh, the country was kind of accumulating wealth, but almost in a sense of like hiding their true capabilities. But during Jinping's very first year in power, China suddenly moved to make a statement. They actually proclaimed that there's this one area, it's called an air defense identification zone. It's this huge maritime area that separates China from Japan. And they basically proclaimed this area as, as their own. Now, this particular area has been under largely undisputed control by the Japanese since the late 1800s. But China went ahead and proclaimed it. Uh, and so they then followed up on this with a lot of different gestures that were designed to show their strength. And uh, during these first early years, the country's first aircraft carrier uh, was acquired. Uh, they got it from Ukraine, and they, they sent it into a full battle group of other warships into the South China Sea. This all took place in those very early days of Jinping's term. And so these type of moves have been seen as a real show of strength, a show of force. And the reason he's doing this is because he has pretty much openly declared that he wants Asia to be administered run by Asians. And he doesn't want outside interference from the West or from the United States in particular. And this isn't necessarily to say that he's like this big warmonger or anything. He's definitely showing strength, but he's also been very diplomatic in, in certain areas as well. Uh, he's known for that too. And so it's thought that he has kind of a long-term plan that might be taking place here, where Chinese people are essentially in their rightful place in the world. The Chinese people actually on the ground are taught things like they were robbed by European imperialists, and then this kind of American-imposed world order since the end of World War II. And this kind of flies in the face of what they believe is their rightful place because of their long, long history. You know, prior to Europeans arriving, China had these great empires. They were very, very powerful. And so it's thought that Jinping is trying to restore China back to that place. And so ultimately, as the rhetoric is kind of stepping up here between the, the United States and China, you're going to see both sides really face off. China really, really wants Asia to be theirs. They, they want power in the South China Sea. As I mentioned, a third of the world trade runs through here. But you also have countries like the West, like, like the United States in particular, who see this as an international concern, something that all countries should be very concerned about. 
and they really see their role as being one that can enforce some of these international waters. Uh, and they see themselves as the United States as well as the rest of the Western countries as standing up for some of these smaller countries like Vietnam and the Philippines who can't stand up to the Chinese might by themselves. And so as this standoff gets bigger and bigger, you know, through this strategic waterway, we're going to really see potentially here kind of a, a game of chicken. If you're all familiar with the childhood game of two people facing off and seeing which one flinches first, I think we're kind of headed that direction with this. You know, China claims these these territories as their own. They've been very, very forceful. They've poured millions and probably billions and billions of dollars into building these islands, militarizing them for their purposes. And then the United States sees this as being an international trade concern. So there's there's huge implications with that as well. And so we may be getting closer and closer to a case of seeing which side flinches first. Now, Jinping, to, to his side, has claimed that this is not militarization per se. You know, they, they claim things like they're, they're trying to protect uh, these waterways themselves. Uh, they want to protect the environment. There's some great quotes along the lines of, the fact that we are militarizing these islands should not be seen as a militarization policy, which is, is obviously kind of funny and, and ridiculous in a sense, but, but he's trying to pitch this as an idea of, we're not here for our goals, we're here for the larger interests of the region. And so he's trying to pitch that as, as what they're doing. It hasn't really been bought by a lot of the countries in the area. It's definitely not bought by the United States or by most of the countries in the West. But we are getting closer and closer, I think, to a point where we're going to see one side try to force the other to flinch. And this ship maneuver that kind of prompted this topic in general, I think maybe some of the, the first triggers of this. We've seen similar activities activity take place uh, with Russia. Russia has had several times where they have planes kind of buzz over U.S. ships as a show of, of force, kind of a, a subtle threat. And it could be seen that this is China doing the same thing now. But either way, I think this is going to be an area that we need to keep a very close eye on. It's one of these uh, few areas where there really are conflicts, like direct conflicts between massive world superpowers. A lot of times when we think of world issues, we tend to think of the civil war in Syria uh, or you know, in, in Yemen or some of these other types of natural disasters that took place. There was just a big tsunami. You know, and so these type of things are what we think about. But there actually have been a couple cases now where major world superpowers have gone head to head, not in any sort of true militarized sense, no firing back and forth, no, no deaths or anything, but these type of you know, close calls. And so it's something that we need to keep a very close eye on. I'm sure our government is doing this. But even as for us, as individual citizens in this country, this is something to keep a close eye on because it's going to affect things like trade. We get a ton of our trade from China. And the, the tariffs that have been going up there have started to affect prices, started to affect the stock market if you're invested in any sort of Chinese stocks. And as this thing continues to escalate, if it does, I should say, if it does continue to escalate, there could be some other ramifications that may trickle down to the average citizen. So it's worth keeping an eye on for our sake. Uh, but with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, shut down this episode for the day. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. Please follow me there. Subscribe. I'll be happy to continue that conversation. You can also follow me on Facebook at J. Robert Kinney. It's what I write fiction novels under. I have my first book, Precipice, 
It's on Amazon. You can find it there. Please check it out. I should have a second book coming out later this fall as well, and I'll let you know when that happens. If you're interested in supporting me or this podcast or advertising on the podcast, please either check out my Patreon account or contact me directly, and I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. In the meantime, though, please do continue to spread the word. As I mentioned, I recently hit 1,000 downloads of my podcast, which is incredible, and I'm super excited about that. But I would love to continue to grow it even further, and so that 1,000 downloads ends up being nothing in the grand scheme of things. So I would love your support and your help in doing that. I also want to just say how much I really appreciate all that you guys do, uh, all of your support, all the times you download and listen, all the wonderful, nice comments that you guys have made and told me how much you enjoy this. And I really look forward to being able to continue to do that going down the road. But with that, I think it's about time to sign off. So until next time, my name is Justin Kinney. This is Nutshell Politics, and I am out in three, two, one. <laughs>